Lord would continue to build his kingdom among us in Stroudsburg and even to the uttermost parts of the earth, even as we face those forces of darkness which seek to oppose us. May he give us strength to do so. Well, as we continue to worship this morning in the word of God, I invite you to open up in your Bible to 1 John chapter 4. We are going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. If you are visiting with us, we have been working through the book of 1 John, and we've been seeing in this last section several manifestations or clear displays of the Spirit of God through the people of God. And so as you turn to 1 John chapter 4, let us turn to the Lord one more time in a word of prayer as we dedicate our time together this morning to him. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for your grace towards us. How privileged are we each to have a copy of God's word within reach. There are many saints who have gone before us who have not had such pleasure. There are many saints who have come before us that have died in order that we might have the privilege to read and to hear and to sing and to sit under the preaching of your word. Father, we're so thankful for those men and women who you have called down through the ages in order to proclaim the gospel of your truth in the midst of wicked and pagan nations. Father, would you continue to do your work in and through your church? Father, may there be some even here this morning that you would embolden to preach the gospel not only to Stroudsburg, certainly in Stroudsburg, but even to the darkest and most remote places in the universe. Father, what a glorious truth it is that we hold so dear in our hearts. Father, would we stand against the schemes of the devil? Father, would you shelter us under your wing would you protect us with the armor of the lord as we even seek to stand for its truth we're so thankful for it and we pray this in your name amen well the introduction from this morning sermon is brought to you by the ligonier ministries state of theology survey this is taken from their website and i am quoting What do Americans believe about God, the Bible, and salvation? Ligonier Ministries State of Theology Survey provides eye-opening insights. Every two years, we take the theological temperature of the United States to find out what people on the street and in congregations really believe. Understanding the worldviews and beliefs of Americans can equip the church with insights for discipleship. This year's results reveal widespread confusion about the Bible and the relevance that it bears for our identities and our everyday lives. This confusion presents both inside and outside the church. And it cries for clear and faithful teaching in Christian evangelism and discipleship. The need is great, but the power and promises of God can equip the church to bring truth and light to a dark world. Close quote. 
The State of Theology survey is intended to give us a small glimpse into the state of the church and what she believes. And even a cursory glance at this survey in America shows that the church is in need for much discernment. Questions that should be easily answered. For example, does God change? Or is the Bible literally true? Or even was Jesus Christ God are answered far too often with much uncertainty. And I wonder this morning, beloved, how you might do if you were to take this survey. You can certainly do so on their website, thestateoftheology.com, and see where you might land in some of these rudimentary and fundamental questions concerning what we believe about the biblical text. And so the question that I would like to explore this morning and the question that is presented to us by the Apostle John, inspired by the Holy Spirit in 1 John chapter 4, is how are we to grow the state of our theology and our beliefs within the American church certainly, but even to the uttermost parts of the earth? And the answer that John gives us in 1 John chapter 4 is that we must practice spiritual discernment. We must be able, as God's people, not only the pastors and elders of this church, but you who sit in the pews week in and week out, we must be able to discern faithful biblical teaching from what Paul calls in 1 Timothy the doctrines of demons. John gives us two tests in our text for this morning that we should apply to anyone who claims to be speaking on God's behalf. And these tests are direct manifestations of the Spirit of God. Notice them with me this morning in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. He says in verse 1, Beloved, beloved, believe, or I'm sorry, do not believe every spirit, but what? Test the spirit to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now already in the world. Verse 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is greater, for he who is greater than he, I'm sorry, let me back up a second. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. 
Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Remember, as we have been working through this last section from the letter of the Apostle John to the churches, we have seen these clear demonstrations of the Spirit's power and work through the church by these demonstrative pronouns. You notice one in verse 2 and again in verse 6. He says, by this you know the Spirit of God. And again in verse 6, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The initial command here is one that is particularly relevant to the church and her protection. And it is one that we need to hear specifically in our believe all things and accept all things culture. Hear this beloved, and believe it, there is one standard of truth. And what we learn in our text is that that standard of truth does not come from the world. Now, I want to repeat that so that you hear it again, because I think it's important for us to stress this this morning. The standard of truth that John calls us to this morning by which we discern biblical and spirit-filled teaching does not come from the world. You see, the world does not know what is spiritually healthy. The world does not know the proper way to raise our kids. The world does not know how the church ought to function. The world does not know what is ultimately good for our society. And the world obviously does not know what is a man or what is a woman or the responsibilities that pertain to each sex. You see, truth, beloved, does not come from the world. And if that sounds radical to you this morning, it just goes to show how much the world has infiltrated the church. What we learn from John here this morning is that those who listen to the apostles and the prophets as they have been preserved for us through the word of God, are from God, and the spirit of God is within them. You see, those who are in the world listen to those who are from the world. But beloved, we should not listen to those who are from the world because we are no longer in the world. We are from God and the Spirit of God lives within us. And therefore, we ought this morning to know how to and what are the messages that come from the Spirit of God. Notice what John says to us this morning in verse 4. 
He says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. They, therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. And the Spirit instructs us this morning that we are not to believe every spirit but that we are to test those spirits to see whether or not they are from God himself. Now, in order for us to understand this passage, let's just take a second this morning to establish the cultural context in which John is addressing the church. Because I think it's pertinent, especially to us and the cultural context in which we find ourselves today. You see, the world in which this letter is written was filled with philosophers and sages. The world in which this word from God is spoken is filled with those who were heavily influenced by the likes of Aristotle Plato and Socrates. The predominant philosophies of John's day are Stoicism, Platonism, and Epicureanism. And we see this cultural setting in Acts chapter 17. Now I know Mike read for us a bit of the context of Acts chapter 17, but I want to continue in Acts chapter 17 so that we can see the cultural context in which John is speaking. And so if you have your Bible open, I encourage you to turn over to Acts chapter 17, and we will read together verses 16 through 21. Acts chapter 17, verse 16 through 21. Notice as the Spirit records this historical event in Acts chapter 17, he gives us insight into the culture in which Paul the Apostle and missionary is going into and preaching the gospel to. Acts chapter 17 verse 16 says this, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Now, now again, beloved, as we read through this text, I just want you to Try to make the connection between Athens and maybe our modern-day New York or Washington, D.C. or L.A. or any of those epicenters of worldly culture and understanding in our world. Let me back up again. Verse 16, Acts 17. While Paul was waiting for them at Athens... His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who had happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, 
May we know what is this new teaching that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears, and we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Verse 21. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Now what we learn at the end there of verse 21 about the world in which John writes his letter, we learn that this world is full of those who are not just casually interested in the different worldviews that are swirling about in the culture of Athens, but that they were obsessed with them. What we learn there in verse 21 is that they took great delight in hearing what was the latest and greatest and most novel teaching that was being taken about in the philosophical circles of the day. They did nothing with their free time but to discuss these philosophies and new ideas. Now, one of the philosophies of the day that proved to be especially troublesome to John and the first century church is what is called Gnosticism. It was a false teaching that was focused on what they called higher learning or higher knowledge. Again, hear the cultural setting in which we live, beloved. They were infatuated with higher knowledge or direct revelations from God concerning those things that are spiritual. And they completely separated the spiritual realm from the physical realm, so much so that God could not be seen in the material or be known by the created order. Now this heresy went outside the God-ordained means of revelation, that is the holy apostles and prophets, and required a higher revelation for salvation. You see, for them, the word of God was not enough. The God-ordained means of the biblical text was not enough. They needed some higher or greater revelation, some higher and more spiritual knowledge. And they believed that in this knowledge, outside of the biblical text, is where they would find their salvation. And one thing that John is especially concerned about is that this contradicted God's ordained means for revelation. God had ordained the apostles and prophets to bring to the people the word of God and the revelation of Jesus Christ, and that word is sufficient. And so these Gnostics were bringing in these new teachings, teachings that Jesus had not come in the flesh, that he could not come in the flesh because the flesh and the spirit were completely separate. Now, as we've learned in 1 John, even in the beginning, 
this absolutely contradicts the message of Jesus Christ. God in the flesh, Jesus came, he was incarnated, and he lived his life among the apostles so that they became first-hand witnesses of his ministry, his earthly ministry. Now, I only mention this to show that the first century world is not much different from our world. You see, our world is obsessed with the latest revelation from some prominent self-help guru or motivational speaker. Our culture, beloved, is rampant with discussions on postmodernism and gender ideology and critical race theory. We as a culture are captivated by the latest and greatest take on the nature of humanity and how we might live our best life now. And what's worse is that there is no shortage of peddlers of such heresies and falsehoods. What we find out from John here is that the world in which he lived was rampant with false prophets, contrary spirits, and fatal errors. Notice again what John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Just like there are many antichrists who are out in the world, so there are many of those who peddle these false doctrines to God's people. And therefore, beloved, we must take care to be a discerning people. We must, as God tells us here, test those spirits to see whether or not they be from God. And what John does in the rest of the text is he gives us two tests Two tests that we as God's people might apply to anyone who says they are speaking from God. Now the first test that we see this morning is more of an entry-level test. The second is a more comprehensive test. So let us consider that first entry-level test this morning. If you're following along on the insert in your bulletin, that is your first fill-in this morning. The entry-level test to discern whether or not someone is from God. We find it in verses 2 and 3. It says this, By this you know the Spirit of God Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, 
which you heard was coming and is now already in the world. John gives us an entry-level test here, and what I mean by that, what I mean by an entry-level test is that this is the most fundamental assertion that any teacher who claims to be from God should hold to. It is the most basic and fundamental truth that any one of those who are seeking to be faithful to the text will come to and believe in and embrace. If you claim to be speaking on behalf of the Spirit of God, you cannot get this test wrong. Because if you fail this test, then everything else you say should be automatically discredited. And I believe what John does here is he gives us a very direct assertion and a more general one. Notice what John says is the entry-level test here for the teachings of the Spirit in verse 2. He says, By this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now that's a very specific application of this entry-level test. And the application is whether or not the one who claims to be from God recognizes Jesus' earthly advent in the incarnation and his ministry here on earth. Hear this, beloved. If you reject that Jesus came in the flesh, you are a false prophet and you should be ignored. If you assert that Jesus was merely a spiritual manifestation or that Jesus is just a portrayal of moral perfection, then you should be set aside. If you assert that the Bible is just a book of myths presenting the ideal of humanity in this mythological figure, Jesus, then you should automatically be discredited. Anyone who does not recognize the physical birth and material existence of the second person of the Trinity, the man Christ Jesus, does not come from God and therefore should be put in his proper place. I don't know how to say it any more clear than that, and I'm not sure that I need to, because John says it very clear for us. But John goes even further from this direct assertion. Notice what he says in verse 3. He says, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. John goes from the direct to the more broad. And this broad assertion, therefore, covers all the doctrines of Christ. If you do not confess that Jesus is who he said he is, and that 
everything that he did in his earthly ministry is true, then you should be regarded as a false prophet. If you purport that Jesus was not God, then you are not from God. If you assert that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is in some way less than or subordinate to God the Father, then you should be labeled a false teacher. If you claim that Jesus did not suffer and die for sin, then you are the spirit of the Antichrist. If you allege that Jesus was not bodily resurrected on the third day and that he is not seated at the right hand of God, then you should be viewed as one who has yet to receive the Spirit of God and therefore should be weighed in the balance. And so on and so forth. If at any moment you demote and diminish the person and work of Jesus Christ, you are not from God. Amen? And this is entry level, beloved. This is basic stuff. Nobody in a survey on the state of theology should get this wrong. Brothers and sisters, hear this. Listen to this application of the text of Scripture this morning. When you sit down to listen to any quote-unquote Bible teacher on YouTube or radio or television, the very first question you should ask yourself is, what does this person believe about the person and work of Jesus Christ? Let me say that again, just in case you missed it. Every time you sit down to listen to a preacher or to read a book from some prominent Christian author, the first question you should ask yourself is what does this person believe about the person and work of Jesus Christ? And beloved, I would suggest that you search out those answers for yourself. I would suggest, beloved, that you, yes, you, who sit in the pews week in and week out, do your due diligence to understand as the most basic importance who Jesus is and what he came to do. Pick up a book from a well-known author on the essential nature of Jesus and his ministry so that when you come across a preacher who claims to be from the Spirit of God, you can run this most basic test upon them. What does he believe about Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished in the cross and resurrection? You see, beloved, what the text does here is that makes this test of discernment a personal responsibility for you. I, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, will not be with you everywhere you go. The elders 
will not be by your side every time you scan the bookshelves of the Christian authors and the latest doctrines of the day. We will not always be with you. Now, we may be able to guard the gates, but we cannot be with you when you sit in your dorm rooms or your living rooms and you are presented time and time again with the latest and greatest preacher of God's word. And therefore, the text makes this a personal responsibility on your behalf. Notice who John addresses this to. This is not written in one of the pastoral epistles. This is written to the church. Notice it, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, you, second person plural pronoun, you, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Beloved, if you are introduced to a new author or a new preacher, or maybe even the authors and the preachers that you are currently listening to and reading, you should ask this fundamental question of their beliefs and personal convictions. What do they believe about Jesus Christ? Is it the accepted doctrine that have been passed down first by the apostles and then by the saints through history? And is it, does it line up with what the scripture says about Jesus Christ? One thing that you can do is you could begin to memorize the Nicene Creed. I've actually printed out several, several copies of the Nicene Creed and put it back uh, on the shelf out there in the foyer for you to take. Familiarize yourself with these basic understandings of who Jesus Christ is. Pick up a book on Christology and educate yourself about what are the fundamental truths that we must believe in order to embrace and accept the Savior, Jesus Christ. And as you do, apply that to those whom you are listening to. But beloved, that's just the basics. That's just an entry-level test. I told Sarah this morning that this sermon is going to be a little bit long, and so I pray that you endure with me even as we consider this more comprehensive test. Notice, John gives us not only this initial entry-level test, but he gives us a more comprehensive test. Notice with me in 1 John chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. He says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. What John does here, notice, is he again connects the spirit that is in us with the spirit that is in the apostles. Notice what he does in verse 4 and verse 6. He says, you are from God, verse 6, we are from God. 
And therefore, he coordinates the same spirit that lives within us, if the spirit of Christ lives within us, is also the same spirit that was in the apostles and the prophets. And therefore, the spirit that is in us connects itself to the revelation that the apostles and the prophets gave to us. What John does here is he reverts back to the beginning of his letter, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And he says, we are from God. Now that we there in verse 6 is referring to the apostles that were the firsthand witnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And therefore, those who were commissioned to speak on God's behalf. Notice what John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. He says, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, verse 4, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. When John says here in verse 6 of chapter 4 that we are from God, whoever knows God listens to us, Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. He is referring to himself, the other apostles, and the prophets of the Old Testament. Beloved, he is referring to the word of God. How do we discern, second more broader comprehensive test, How do we discern if a spirit is from God? We must run it by the holy apostles and prophets. When we listen to preachers, we need to be sure that we are listening to preachers that are expounding, explaining, and applying, and even at times illustrating, the word of God as it was delivered to us by God's ordained means of revelation. Beloved, hear this. Hear this this morning. There is no need to go beyond and outside of Scripture. If you want to hear from God this morning, go to the Scripture. Go to the word of God. There is no higher revelation. And let me say this. Everyone that has the spirit of God dwelling within them knows, believes, and accepts that. Brothers and sisters, do not be deceived. Anyone who says that they have a new word or a new revelation from God is not from God. Because God has fully and sufficiently revealed himself in the scripture. Beloved, if I am passionate about this, it's because I know right now currently that there are probably books on your library shelves that are claiming this very thing. That they have a new word from God. But let me assure you, they do not. This 
is the final and full revelation of Jesus Christ and what he came to accomplish. And therefore, if we are to hear from God, if we are to learn what God requires of us, if we are to understand how we are to grow in the Spirit, we turn to God. We turn to the Scripture. We turn to preachers and teachers who are faithful to the text of the Scripture. Beloved, be satisfied in God's word. There is nothing beyond it. Beyond it, There is no greater revelation. And anyone who claims that there is, is seeking to lead you astray. They are a spirit not from God. They are a spirit from this world. May we learn from the Corinthians who were readily accepting other teachers outside of the ordained apostles and were rebuked by Paul himself. Notice what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. If the weight of my words are not weighing heavy on your soul this morning, maybe the inspired author, Paul, will convict your hearts and seek you to apply these tests to those whom you listen and you read. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. It's found on the insert in your bulletin. He says, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Verse 3. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion for Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you. You see, the Corinthians were much like many modern-day evangelicals in our churches, and maybe even like some of us. The Corinthians were quick to embrace the teacher with polished eloquence and elevated wisdom. But Paul was commissioned by the Lord to bring the truth of God's word in fear and trembling and not with lofty speech or wisdom unless the cross be emptied of its effect. Christ, or I'm sorry, Paul came with a simple message, Christ and him crucified. Beloved, do not be drawn away by slick preachers who are more interested in turning a phrase than being faithful to the word of God. Do not entertain fanciful authors who are more interested in being novel 
than being faithful. Beloved, may we be like the Bereans, for it is our namesake. And even as Mike read from Acts chapter 17, verse 11, may we receive the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. May our hearts be satisfied in the scripture as a demonstration of the grace and mercy of God's spirit to reveal to us the truth that we need concerning his universe, concerning his creation, and especially concerning his son, Jesus Christ, and the salvation that is offered in him. May we examine every teacher or Bible preacher or author according to the test that John gives us in this text. May we ask first and foremost, what do they believe about Jesus Christ? And may we ask secondly, do what they teach and believe line up with the holy word of God? For it is our only standard of truth. And as we believe it and as we trust it, may the church grow in her fidelity to God and in the state of her theology. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your grace this morning. Would you impress this truth upon us? Father, would we set aside all those preachers and teachers who want to bring us some new word from God or some new perspective on Paul or some fanciful doctrine of the Spirit and its application to our lives, some weird teaching that goes against what you have revealed in your Scripture. Father, would you apply this to our hearts and may we be discerning. Father, I pray for your grace towards us. May we be faithful and may we proclaim your word. It is in your son's name we pray.